0: growing up with a growing understanding speech pathology conversations about children's development that will support you through your parenting journey.
1: Welcome back to Growing Up with a Growing Understanding Speech Pathology. Today I'm joined with Cherie Johnson from Speaking in Colour and I'm really excited to chat to Cherie so thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I've been following Speaking in Colour for a few years now and so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what the business is mm-hmm. and yeah how you came to that point of developing
2: Speaking in Colour Mm -hmm. and, yeah, what's led you to this point right now? Mm. I was teaching. I've always been in community and done a lot of community work and then later in my 20s became a high school teacher by trade and did a bit of work with the universities and then when I had my children, that are 18 months apart, I was looking for ways to, like a lot of mums, you know, doing some project work on the side, did some work for galleries and wrote some resources and really found a formula to support my colleagues as educators in how they can implement more Aboriginal perspectives into the classroom. Growing up for me was a little tricky, not as tricky as it was for my mum and my grandmother. And I just wanted to be a you know, part of the solution and yeah, so I really lent in and thought how can I support more of my colleagues because if I'm on class, I can't support them. So that's really how the business started and with the premise just to create resources to support teachers, to implement perspectives on a daily basis and meet accessible outcomes in the hope that we would normalise learning and talking about Aboriginal people and culture because we're all Australians. So that was really the the genesis. It was pretty straightforward. And it was just a, you know, if I can do a project for three grand, that's actually like a two-week holiday for me and my family.
1: <laughs> so that's how it started. But the impact of that is huge in terms of what you experienced, what your family have experienced. What sorts mm. of challenges did you see growing up and did you experience? Well, I actually just
2: thought it was normal, and I had a great upbringing. I loved my upbringing. There's so many things that I'm really, really super grateful for, and I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for having some couple of challenges and you know, definitely build a bit of resilience there. And it's interesting now having children who are very much, you know, we live in Adamstown. Uh, I never have to question, do I have enough money for shoes? Even though my son goes through ASICS like every term, I'm like, child, what do you do with these shoes? You know, like, but it's a, it's a first world problem, really. Always have money for, for excursions. Always have money for a new school uniform, you know? So for me growing up, that was what rich people experienced, you know. It was like, oh, there's a school camp coming up. Is mum going to be able to afford it? You know, I'm just super grateful that it's my birthday and, you know, we're going to we're gonna go to the pool and get hot chips, you know. And for me, that was brilliant. Yeah, we never had any money, but nobody else around us had any money either. So for me, I'm raising these little privileged kids and I'm like, your world is so different to mine. So I loved my son. He said to me, just outside here actually – part of the Black Lives Matter March. He said, Mum, what does it mean to weaponize my privilege? And at the time he was in U four and I'm like, great question coming from you, Tobias. That's a huge question
1: for well- Is someone in year four? Oh, he's a lateral thinker. But, you know, it's awesome that you're having those conversations and that he's considering what his life is like and,
2: yeah, what that means for him. Awesome question. But what did you say? I don't know if he actually really thought that. He was just reading the placard in front of him. But he always seen Black Lives Matter and he's seen all these other things. and, And we'd spoken about why it's important that we march because, you know, and I'm starting to tell my children part of my family story And I could be really careful in how I do it because, you know, what's age appropriate, what's not. So at the time when he asked me that question, and I went, great question, Tobias, what's going to happen when you go to uni? And he said, oh, I know the answer to this question. He goes, I don't have to pay rent, but I have to chuck in for all the bills and all the food. I not have to do jobs around the house. I'm like, mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, and you'll buy me a little bomb car. That's right. But if you do a five-year degree or your second degree, what's going to happen? He goes, I can pick any car I want. So for me as a mum, my kid who is super smart knows already that he's going to uni. Dude, if I can help him get through that first degree, I'm their mum. But I feel like it's my job to help them get through just that first start in life and and find a, a good path, not the best path, but a good path for them.
1: So that really resonates with me because I think this is what, in part, the podcast mm. is about as well. as you know how can we help our children in mm-hmm. that process of growing up? Mm-hmm. What are the lessons that we've learnt through? our process of growing up Mm -hmm. and what have our parents and our grandparents Mm -hmm. taught us so I think this in itself this conversation about how to support these children to be growing up and I I think in terms of your experiences I think bringing in speaking in Mm colour and those perspectives about how we can be teaching our children about the importance of our Indigenous people and the role in the community is just so incredible and awesome. On a practical level, what does Speaking in Colour look like now? So Mm. how do you deliver these programs to children and Mm to
2: schools and and things? Yeah. Um, Speaking in Colour has grown bigger than the original vision and we're going to continue to grow. Our vision is massive. We really want to be agents for change. So now we're an umbrella of... Collective of really amazing, talented people. Um, there's a lot of people who are trained teachers. So we're writing content all the time and delivering professional development for teachers. We do programs in schools and they are really well mapped against the wellness continuums, the cross-curricular, KLAs. We're also trying to focus on the wellness aspect. Um, so these programs, while they are Aboriginal cultural practices and programs they are actually wellness programs for all kids and this is the thing that we are saying to all teachers and all students we're actually Australians and it's actually really good business sense if you just want to go from an economic perspective this is good for Australia but as people this is where we get our collective pride from like so for me as an Aboriginal person I would really love the date of Australia Day to be changed because I want to have a long weekend to celebrate being Australian because I've lived in many different places and this is a cracking country. It's so beautiful. And if we lived in New Zealand, we would have a national pride. Young kids are going through schools now learning the truth about Australian history going, well, hang on, why can't we just like or get along and why can't we just be Australians and be proud of that? And you know, so we need to support our little people to be proud of that Australian identity and this is a way that we do that. So. So obviously, education is a focus, teacher training programs in schools. And then we do a lot of our social impact work where we have exhibitions where like our last exhibition at Newcastle Museum had 144 elders and community learn cultural practice for the first time. And we had 445 kids involved in the programs and they got to be a part of a professional art exhibition like that's so enriching for them as little people and we'll continue to do that. On our other arm of our business is our corporate arms. So we work with a lot of businesses and governments now, and it's basically the same thing. as providing cultural capacity training or awareness training, so how to create an Aboriginal lens of the place that you live in and understand some context, but how to be agents for change. What does that look like today? How do I diversify my reading list and my viewing list or my conversations? You know, how do I as an adult, like we teach our kids all the time, don't we, say, stop, I don't like it When there's behaviors that you don't like, how do we as adults do that? And how do we do it in a way that's palatable for the hearer without making them super offensive? But then we're super awkward, right? When we hear a sexist comment or a racist comment, we're like, I don't feel good right now. So how do we give people those tools? And then in the workplace, you know, how can your business be servicing your community if your business isn't made up of your community this is why we need to have diversification in our workplace you know we need to have males and females and older and younger and we all have a a richness of diversity that can value add to our company so I love it when I have the corporates come to me and say hey my preschooler is coming home and saying this stuff to me and I don't really know much and they know more than me what do I do I'm like you just keep asking that question because I don't know have what no the answers like for your family you'll get more as you come along so for us we've got the business education arm we've got the, the business corporate arm and then our social impact is huge and that's where our heart is so those two For Purpose Arms Fund, what we do on the ground with our community and youth, which is really good.
1: You're so awesome. And it all just feeds into Mm -hmm. each other. And like you were saying, you know, for my children, non-Indigenous children, they have a school principal who's a local Aboriginal woman. And she has arranged for a regular Aboriginal teacher to come and teach aboriginal and indigenous studies to the children and it's starting those opportunities for conversations isn't it Mm -hmm. and asking inquisitive questions you know the children coming to us and saying tell me about Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. and you know i think i think that's what's so important so and so awesome about the work that you do so well done very very cool
0: yeah grow with us and join an active community of parents on facebook at a growing understanding and instagram grow understanding I'd love to hear about a memory
1: or a childhood memory, something that really resonated with you and something that you reflect upon quite a lot now as an adult. And it might be something that yeah, has impacted on your journey with speaking in colour, but it might just be something that you
2: have thought about recently. Lots of memories that come to mind. But one, I think it's because it's, you know, I'm a working mum and it's school holiday, So I'm kind of in that That meld, but I have memories of just walking through the bush with my nan and collecting wildflowers and her teaching me this is my aboriginal side of the family so i'm scottish on my father's side and i'm aboriginal irish on my on my nan's my mum's side but i identify stronger with my aboriginality cuz i was raised by my nan and my mum my mum and dad split when i was about 3 so going through the bush and just having those beautiful quiet conversations with nan and you know Having those pearls will be so, so. I don't actually remember anything instinctively. I mean, I remember, you know, flowers and just that whole presence of walking and 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 I tried to bring that into mine and my daughter's life, especially because she's definitely very similar to me, whereas my son's very similar to his father, which is fine, just different people, right? But with my daughter, yeah, I remember that closeness of culture and connection, and just feeling like, yeah, this is who I am and feeling connected with country and my family and just beautiful.
1: And like what you said earlier, how lucky are we to live in such a beautiful part Mm -hmm. of the world? Like I think in Newcastle, in New South Wales, where we are, we're so privileged to live in such a beautiful country. And there's so many beautiful places all around Australia Mm -hmm. and that we, you know, have the fortune to be able to appreciate if we take the time out to explore and indulge in that. I think, Mm
2: -hmm. yeah, we're very fortunate to live where we do. We do and I don't think many people have realised how many beautiful walks there are around here in Newcastle like Glen Rock and Sugarloaf, there's so many amazing places to go.
1: Do you have something that works for you and your family, a particular parenting tip or a parenting <laughs> hack? We were talking about you know, being a working mum and being busy juggling
2: <laughs> school holidays. Depends what day you ask me. routines king i have a 12 year old who is very much my daughter she's very sassy at the best of times at the moment i'm currently because that was one of the questions what are you currently reading so i'm reading um the wings of fire which is a pre-teen series we're up to book 14 and i'm reading it so that i have something to talk to my daughter about instead of Have you fed the birds? Have you cleaned your room? Have you put your lunchbox? (laughs) So I'm very aware that I'm bringing up little people with their own personalities, their own love languages and as a high school teacher, I'm really aware that children need to be individuals and we need to support them where they're at. And there is a period of time where they're just going to go into a little kind of, I've got hormones raging. I don't quite know if I like you or not. And I know there's going to be times when she doesn't particularly want to talk to me. So I'm at that stage of life, which has just happened because she's just started year seven. And so it's a little bit tricky. And and actually on a personal note, I'm, I've just gone through a divorce. So we've been separated for two years now. So this has been, really tricky like I don't know if anybody's listening can hear any of this stuff but you know juggling work and kids and separations how do you connect so for me I connect with my boy and my girl very differently and I'm just working on that and trying to keep my ego and my because I'm very you know educational theory tells me this yeah well that don't wash (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you've got individual
1: kids, right? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, as a professional, Mm -hmm. I think that that's what we consider and what Mm -hmm. we talk about. And, you know, we've got these theories and these Mm -hmm. concepts in mind. But, you know, when you reflect that on the individuals, I'm the same. I've got a boy and a girl and Mm -hmm. very different personalities and different ways of doing things Mm -hmm. and different to how I think I should do things mm-hmm. and yeah and having to be instinctual with some of that but I agree with you I think routine mm-hmm. is key and I always thought when my children were babies that you know a routine meant that you know at seven o'clock they would wake up and at seven thirty you would you know give them breakfast but a routine isn't is not that at all and I had to very quickly learn that that it was just about doing th- things a certain way and, you know, in a, a time frame that suits that individual mm. and, yeah, learning what's going to fit best and mm. what's going to work well. So, yeah, yeah. I think routine is important, but yeah. having flexibility around the routine yeah. for the individual,
2: too. Yeah. yeah. And not be too hard on yourself, right? Because, yeah, like even now we have dinner. I'm like, come on, shower. Ugh. It's like, dude, every night. Every night, same thing: scrape plate, gun kind of a shower. <laughs> By the moment they go and do it, so yeah, it's exactly right. It's not necessarily the time, and every family's different. And we need to be really nice to ourselves, hey, especially yeah. as mums. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's okay not to get it right every day. We do need that reminder, though, yeah. don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we're our biggest critic.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because mm. it feels like we're having such an influence on mm. helping these children to grow up and to be good adults good people and yeah mm. so much responsibility that we put in ourselves so, so it is okay to say occasionally we do make mistakes and to give ourselves a break but how do we model that
2: that's the best thing isn't it yeah like are they going to make mistakes yeah so how do you model to them what to do when you do yeah that's all right it's yeah
0: all we'll get there <laughs> we want to know who you'd like to hear from or what topics you would like us to discuss so we can continue to grow together Reach out via email to growing up at agrowingunderstanding.com.au. Have you come across
1: speech pathologists before? So we're obviously a speech pathology yeah. service. Yeah. What do you
2: understand about speech pathology? Yeah, I understand that's really, really important. So for me as a young person, I had ear, nose and throats issue. I had my tonsils out and I had grommets put in and for a long time and still now I have to be very careful with my spelling because I spell phonetically. So for a lot of Aboriginal children, in nose throat issues is almost every Aboriginal kid so we need to be able to identify that early and then have the speech pathology put in place and have the tonsils removed and the grommets and all of these sorts of things put in place and people often say to me why well it's just that Aboriginal Island kids are more susceptible for a number of reasons, and some of those are how the actual tract goes from the ears to the nose. It's a little bit different to European children, so there is a pooling and obviously with the reserve system that we had for the last four or five generations it's just played a lot of havoc on our on our health. So regardless of your socioeconomic status a lot of aboriginal people do have poor health when it comes to heart and diabetes and this ent issue is a big issue so speech pathology is one of these things that Many Aboriginal families may not have access to, um, or may not see the value in, until the child is later. So, like especially for me, I never had access to it. But it's something that I've had to be very careful about as I've gone through and how I enunciate word, but how I hear things, and that translates to reading. So we all know, especially as an educator, if a child is school ready, huge difference than if they're not school ready and then if a child cannot hear and so they may hear and sound but they're not may not be able to nun it like hear the, the difference in the sounds it makes a huge difference in their achievement level so if there is a gap in primary school that gap will never close in high school so it's really uh, yeah speech pathology is actually really important.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you touched on that link Mm. between all of those middle ear infections and middle ear function and particularly Mm. in Aboriginal children. And because we know as speech pathologists, and I don't think it's commonly known in the community, just how common the link is between middle ear infections and middle ear function and speech and language development. So it can impact not only on the way that words are said and that Mm -hmm. pronunciation, but also that understanding of language and that expression and Mm -hmm. it can have a significant impact on learning and education and Mm. and you know all of the things that we've spoken about it can have a massive impact Mm. for children not only in that early Mm. childhood sort of stage but going Mm. into school and also what their long-term professional success could be as well so I think that awareness that there is that that link I think we're really fortunate that we've got Dr Kelvin Kong Mm. who is Australia's first Indigenous surgeon but he's an ear nose and throat and ENT Mm -hmm. surgeon and he's local to Newcastle in New South Wales and I think he's done an amazing job at linking and showing the importance of um, that education about middle ear function particularly in early childhood so I'm really glad that you
2: touched done that as well. Absolutely and how it translates for people as they get older is often people will say something to me and I'll be like huh because I actually cannot hear them sometimes still today like even though I've had the tonsils out and I've had the grommets I had this situation and a lot of Aboriginal people do where they can hear a noise but if I've got like a car driving past and someone talking to me in a radio in the background I can see their lips moving and I can think I know what they're saying, but it can be translated as, oh, that person's ignorant or arrogant. And often I had that little frown on my face like, what? And I say this in a lot of training too, especially in the Aboriginal employment strategy. Some Aboriginal people literally can't hear. The last thing that I just wanted to touch on. So Mm
1: -hmm. this podcast is all about, you know, mainly aimed at parents and carers and helping them to be able to support their children to grow up. If you could tell them anything, Mm -hmm. what would your advice be about them including that conversation about our Aboriginal community, about Indigenous and Aboriginal people and the link between speaking in colour and um, helping children to grow up? What advice and information would you like to share with them?
2: Yeah, okay, good question. It's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, it's just worded a little bit different, but it's the same thing that educators are saying, the corporate Australians are saying. Look, at the the end of the day, people are not sure what to do or how to go about it, willing to do something if it's within their... Ability. So for a parent, I would say, what are you doing to have your understanding developed? Uh, there's lots of amazing films out there now just start getting to learn about Aboriginal people and culture. Because if we know a story, we'll tell a story simple as that. There are some amazing children's books out there. There are some amazing music out there as well. There's a great podcasts as well that you can listen to. But at the end of the day, a lot of people's knowledge has been founded on what they've been taught in school. Now, as a researcher, because I'm PhD Canada as well as a teacher and da-da-da. So as a researcher, I'm well-read in some areas, but the majority of Australians aren't. And it's just that, you know, like getting a degree, you don't just go to one lecture and one tutorial and have your degree and be all knowledgeable. For us, learning about Aboriginal people and culture has been pretty hit and miss in schools. And then we're fed a lot through media, through social media, through what we see on television, the news, and there's this systemic undercurrent of perception around aboriginal people and culture which is not fabulous frankly so how do we change that narrative and that's what i'd say to parents is look at changing your narrative and and ask yourself why do you have these preconceived ideas about Aboriginal people and culture? Is it just a preconceived idea about a woman or a man or an older man or a younger man or a younger, do you know what I mean? So where's our biases? We're all biased about some things so the best thing to do is diversify what you're reading, viewing and listening to and there's such a richness there's such a beauty and a richness for people to lean in and so many times people come to me and go oh my gosh I feel like I've just learned so much about aboriginal people and culture and i just i'm hungry to learn more i'm like yay you know like check it out there's a really great book called young dark emu for young people between like eight and say 12 and it's talking about agriculture and housing so it demystifies like a lot of people think aboriginal people were nomadic and there was no governance and there was no economic that's actually not true There was economics, there was a governance structure, and there was actually permanent housing as well. So a great book to read is actually called Dark Emu, and Uncle Bruce Pascoe is actually taking very early transcripts and letters from the early um, settlers and use that to evidence and those drawings to talk about some of these ideas. So that's a great book to read, and it's a pretty light read. One of the things that we do offer with Speaking Colour is creative kid voucher use. We have these online um, $100 packs, two of them, one's an art and a weaving. So there's eight activities and a felt game and some ochre and things. So you just jump on our online shop and put in your name, your number your voucher number and the kid's date of birth, and then we process process that through Service New South Wales, and we send you the pack. So that in, that includes your postage. We also have online weaving workshops, which is amazing, and it's a really great to our interactive and our new office that we're just setting up now. We're going to be offering those as well after hours. Um, So that's a great fun thing for people to be involved in. And again, you can just use your voucher for that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. If anybody doesn't have a voucher and they want to do it, I think it's like $69 per person. It's a two-hour class and all your materials and it's quite fun. But yeah, I'd really recommend if people haven't had an opportunity to do some culture capacity training, we do this one here in Newcastle which is a, a, you know, a lens of this place. And it's just putting the historical context into, into perspective. And a lot of people look at me like, oh oh, and what I do is it's not deficit. It's not about making anybody feel bad, but it's like, hey, let's just take a little snapshot of literally what's happened here in Newcastle and Sydney. This kind of explains the data we have. Therefore, how can we do things a little bit differently? So for me, I say in the workplace, are we acknowledging NADOC week? Are we, do, are we sending out an email to all the staff to say, hey, this month we would like to recommend this film. This film is about here. Click here to watch it. Enjoy. You know, this month we want to recommend that it's NAIDOC week. This is a place where you can go and march. If you don't want to march on your own, find the speaking colour crew because they're always around and that you can always march with them. You know, so we're trying to be a resource for community because that's how we make a change. The the other parents that we have in the soccer team or shop at Kmart with, you know, like that's how we make real change. So that's our vision, our focus. Yeah, awesome. awesome. And I love that
1: a couple of key messages that I got from that was you know diversifying Mm. our exposure Mm. to culture and people Mm. and and also then continuing that conversation and using the resources that are available whether it's for me personally and my family or professionally within my workplace to be able to access the resources like Speaking in Colour to be able to get access to
2: those resources and then to continue that conversation absolutely and we're on social media so follow us and we'll always promote different books and films and things and it's a great way yeah awesome we'll put all of those links into the show notes and things as
1: well so that we can tap people into those different resources thanks so much for joining us Mm -hmm. today it's been great having a chat thanks for having me appreciate it
0: thanks for listening to growing up with a growing understanding speech pathology We love helping families navigate their parenting concerns and ensuring your child can grow and achieve. Please rate and review wherever you're listening so we can continue to grow together.